Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, another preseason officially underway here as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 20 of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. First up, we're going to talk with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell in the first appearance for Greg uh, on the podcast this year. He will be with us every single week from here on out uh, through the rest of the football season, so that's exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about defensive coverages uh, and what was one of my favorite conversations that I think I've ever had on the podcast, so uh, definitely keep listening if you uh, weren't planning on it. So uh, after, after the discussion with Greg, uh, I talked with Jordan Hicks, rookie linebacker from Texas, uh, the Eagles' third-round pick, about defending the screen game and the two technique, and then we talked with Rob Rank from CBS Sportsline, uh, talked some college football and Saturday scouting, but before we get into all that, it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room, my esteemed producer, one Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? Well, I'm lucky because I'm the only guy in the room, so I got. Well, I, I should be your favorite. I mean, I was. You're not supposed to let everyone know that that, that was the case. I mean, I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, but uh, you know what's what's going on? It's, it's the preseason's almost here. Yeah, we're we're getting ready for preseason. Uh, I'm in the truck for most people probably don't know, but I'm in the truck and getting ready for the broadcast. So BT is the, is one of the uh, the big shots for for preseason broadcast for the Eagles Television Network. I would say I'm a shot. I don't know if I'm a big shot. That's but, true. Uh, so getting ready for that, but uh, a lot, obviously a lot of news coming out of Novacare. Um, sure. Corey Shepard, obviously, yeah. guy who's looking to uh, battle for the the nickel nickel corner slot, and uh, Brandon Boykin leaving, and now he's obviously injured. Uh, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how this will impact the team going forward? Yeah, you know, it's it's unfortunate for Ja'Cory because, you know, obviously it's a great kid, and you're rooting for him to get that job because he had looked so good, and, uh, you know, the Eagles coaching staff obviously had very, very high hopes for him. But, he'll, you know, he'll be back in next year and, you know, hopefully better than ever with uh, the, the rehab program they've got here. As far as this year, you know, I'm still excited to see the guys inside because it wasn't definitely going to go to Ja'Cory. You know, that was that might have been the hope, but it definitely wasn't going to go to him. So you still have Jalen Watkins, who I loved coming out of Florida last year. Uh, I was ecstatic to see the Eagles get him in the fourth round. So excited to see if he can take that job. He had Randall Evans, who was another sixth-round pick this year out of Kansas State, played almost exclusively in the slot for Kansas State. So he's got experience playing inside. And then EJ Biggers is that veteran presence, uh, you know, who's played in the league in the slot. So uh, he brings that as well. Walter Thurman, Malcolm Jenkins, Byron Maxwell, all these guys have played in the slot. And I was really interested to see that Chip Kelly uh, mentioned Eric Rowe as, as a possibility as well to be able to be cross-trained to play in the slot. So options galore here for the Eagles. Excited to see how it'll shake out over the next four weeks. Uh, but before we get this show started, I feel like uh, it's football season again here as Greg Cosell, for the first time this year, joined me here in studio. Let's get to Greg and Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me now for the first time of the 2015 season, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, the summer is over. It's Football like we never season. left, Fran. Yeah, that, I that's feel true. like I've, you know, I was talking to you, you know, a few weeks ago doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah slightly different digs uh, for this week. I, and, I like it. Yeah, I right like now, it. It's looking okay. Um, but... Uh, moving forward, obviously the 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 big talk is everything Eagles and Sam Bradford and the defense and all these new players all over the field. I do want to talk to you about that at some point, and we've, we're going to have twenty well, weeks. We'll have future. a lot of time to talk about that. No question. Although I want, I do want to say because I really liked his potential on film. I was very sorry to see what happened to Jacory Shepard. Yeah, no question. Because I thought he, and again, that doesn't mean he can't become a good player. Right, but. 
he was a kid who went to Kansas as a wideout, got transitioned to corner, and he, he had the skills to be, he still does, obviously, to be a really good press man corner, which obviously fits this scheme. Yeah, his ability to play the ball in the air uh, and his athleticism for that size, it, it's intriguing, and I, I, you know, it's a, really a shame, uh, the injury, and uh, you know, hope he's back yep. better than ever in 2016. But um, and I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because uh, the topic that I wanted to discuss with you today uh, is coverages, defensive coverages, how offenses look to attack them. Uh, you've got great quarterbacks all over the league that try and find different ways to attack defenses, and they all kind of have their way. You know, a lot of it gets done pre-snap to establish what defenses are going to do, and then you're reacting off that post-snap. Uh, we're going to see one of those guys this week and Andrew Luck on, on Sunday. Let's first just talk about cover zero, and obviously when you talk about cover zero, you're talking about the pressure that comes right. with that. Uh, but just talking straight up cover zero, you've got man coverage across the board, no safety help, no underneath defenders. It's man-on-man, five guys in coverage uh, worrying about the five eligible receivers. Right. Well, I just want to start by saying one thing that I learned years and years ago from Mike Martz. And Mike Martz always said that in order to attack coverages, you must understand the basic principles of coverages because that's the only way you can attack and break them down. It's not random. You must understand the responsibilities of the defenders in different coverage schemes in order to attack them. So let's start, as you said, with cover zero. Cover zero is, it's a very basic concept. The defense is matching up five defenders man-to-man on the five eligible receivers. There's five eligible receivers on every play. And normally, that means there's, not normally, there are six other defenders. What normally happens is those six rush the quarterback. Now, you can play man-to-man because the goal, of course, is to force the quarterback to speed up his tempo and have to get rid of the ball quick. He's not going to be able to drop back, theoretically, sit in the pocket, and wait for receivers to run routes that take two, three, four seconds. So the goal is to speed up the quarterback, get pressure on the quarterback, disrupt the routes right, with the man coverage. So, you know, it's a, it's a coverage where you're really relying on pressure. Now, if you don't get that pressure, sometimes you get mismatches for the offense in coverage. I don't know if people can remember last year against Seattle. Russell Wilson hit Doug Baldwin for a touchdown uh, in the red zone. Or was it was right around the 20-21 yard line, if memory serves me correctly. The Eagles went cover zero. And they had Malcolm Jenkins matched on Doug Baldwin in the slot. I'm sure you remember the play. Absolutely. And what happened there was Jenkins was playing off coverage, not press. Baldwin had a free release and was actually able to run a little bit of a double move. It It was a basic seam route, but he was able to run a little bit of a double move. And this is where quarterbacking comes into play because Russell Wilson had to throw the ball really, really early. But he, he trusted Baldwin to win, and he released it early before the pressure got to him. And if you have quarterbacks who understand that and are comfortable releasing the ball early, then you can defeat cover zero. Yeah, no question about it. And it's really interesting, too. You talk about a guy like Russell Wilson. One of the things that happens with man coverage is if you have these mobile quarterbacks, a lot of these guys, that's where you see some of those big runs is because the defense, the, the guys in the secondary – they're worried about the man in front of them. They're not necessarily looking at the quarterback. If that quarterback can break, contain, Correct. find his way outside the pocket, now you've got the ability to break off a big run. And that's not only true against cover zero, but that's also true against what we call two-man coverage sure. or man-free coverage because defenders are playing man-to-man and they turn their back to play man-to-man. And then if the quarterback sees open space in front of him, 
even quarterbacks who we don't necessarily associate as mobile can often gain, you know, if it's third and seven, they can gain eight or nine yards and get a first down. Well, let's talk about man-free coverage, and you're talking with a single high safety. Correct. There, and there's so many different ways uh, that teams can play cover one. You know, there's sometimes it's one high safety and you've got one player in the hole. Sometimes you've got two players in the hole. Right. Sometimes you may have double covered on the outside. There's all different kinds of variances. But uh, just in, you know, in basic terms with cover one, you've got one high safety, you've got man coverage underneath. Uh, what are some of the concepts now? What are the different things that a quarterback has to yeah. worry about? Well, let's, let's – when you play man coverage, let's just go back to cover zero for a second. Normally in cover zero, your outside corners will play with hard inside leverage and try to push receivers to the sideline. They don't want receivers to get into the middle of the sure. field because there's no there's deep no safety yep. in the middle of the field. Now, in man-free, there's different ways that corners will play because there is a safety. So it comes down now to how corners are comfortable. Will a corner feel more comfortable playing with inside leverage, even though he has help theoretically in the middle? Or are corners going to play with outside leverage and try to channel guys and force guys into the middle? Now, what you see a lot in the NFL is you'll see oftentimes when it's man-free, you'll see the corner that's playing to the short side of the field or the boundary play pure man as if it's cover zero. Right. Where he's going to play inside leverage and push that receiver to the sideline. Then you'll see the corner to the field, the wide side of the field, often play with outside technique and try to funnel the receiver inside because he does have a safety, and then that safety can cheat a little to the wide side because the corner on the short side is going to play pure man. I remember watching the Jets when they had Darrell Revis under Rex. He would, they would do that all the time with Darrell Revis. He, he would play pure man as if there was no safety at all, and then everybody else could help. Sure. And so it depends on your approach. Now, in that kind of coverage, what you often get as an offense, now you're asking your quarterback, and this is where this is a difference between quarterbacks in the NFL, is you have to make stick throws into tighter windows because when corners feel that they have help and are comfortable with that, often they can use a technique called tailgating where they actually can get underneath the wide receiver. They don't have to play over the top of them because they have help. Now, this is more true in two-man two coverage right. where there's two deep safeties, but it can be true, certainly, let's say, for a slot corner in man-free. Especially if something's in-breaking. If you've Correct. got a deep dig or something like Correct. that, you can undercut that route. So now, as a quarterback, you have to be willing to turn it loose because those are tough throws. Sure. And that's why, in my view, you're seeing a lot more man coverage in the NFL. That's one of the reasons two-man with two deep safeties has become a very common coverage in the NFL, particularly in longer yardage situations, because those throws for quarterbacks with the tailgating corner underneath the receiver, those are hard throws. And ju just to confirm for those that aren't exactly sure, with two-man, where in cover one man free, you've got one single high safety in the middle of the field. With two man coverage, you're going to have two high safeties. It's almost like you know a cover two look with man coverage Correct. underneath. So it's going to be a four man rush because now you got you have to make sure you've got man coverage for all of the five eligible receivers with two with two high safeties. That so gives that you means seven. you've got a four man rush. You have Correct. to have Just a four man rush. Now there's another coverage that sort of is a a hybrid of both man free and two man, and that's man free lurk. Sure, which is where you take there's one deep safety, but you take the other safety and he sort of sits right in the middle of the field, usually in the 10 to 12 yard area. And 
often you'll see this against teams that run a lot of in-breaking routes. Right. Because you want that safety sitting lower to kind of read routes. He's not a, he's not a man-to-man player. He, it, it's really, you're still playing with two safeties who are technically free defenders. It's just that the second safety drops down into what we call a lurk or robber, robber. position. Yep. That's why I always know it as robber. I mean, you think you, you talk about this kind of role. Think back to two Super Bowls ago with Cam Chancellor against the Denver Broncos. Yep. And a lot of the plays that he made over the middle of the field mm-hmm. as that robber defender underneath. And in fact... Andrew Luck threw an interception last year against New England against that exact coverage, man-free lurk. He wanted to hit T.Y. Hilton on a crosser. I think it was a third down play, maybe like a third and five, which is when you uh, run a lot of those sort of underneath drags or shallow crossers, whatever term you want to use. And all of a sudden, I can't. I think it was. I can't remember who the player was, but there was a lurk robber defender sitting right there, and Andrew Luck couldn't make that. That got taken away because he was sitting right there. It's a really good coverage on third and five, third and four, where you sort of have to play man, but you have to be very conscious defensively of those throws that are in like the five to eight or nine yard area because the offense is just looking to get a first down. And one of the things I love about watching uh, those underneath defenders in, in man-free coverage is you're going to see, let's say, uh, you know, I'm thinking back now to the interception Malcolm Jenkins made against the 49ers last year. Uh, it was cover one. You mean the uh, one that he returned? That he returned for the touchdown. Oh, yeah, we broke so that down. We broke that play yeah. down, exactly. So you had D'Amico Ryans, who was the underneath defender. He's the rat player inside the whole defender, uh, and he's playing as a free player underneath. There was an in-breaking route, a quick slant from the, from the number three receiver who was Malcolm Jenkins' man. Malcolm Jenkins passed him off to D'Amico. Now D'Amico, who started yep. as a as a rat player, as an underneath defender, he's now in man-to-man coverage. Yep. Jenkins becomes the whole defender, and he peels off and makes an interception and returns it for and, a touchdown. And Kaepernick did not read that. Didn't see it. And by the way, that's a tough read for a quarterback. No question. That's a th- and that's why it's so fun. I you know you see those plays. You know maybe maybe not every week, but every once in a while you get to see those plays, and it's really fun to watch because it's it's really great defense. Well, you football. get to see. The thing about coverage now, and, and when I watch film, there's a lot of plays where I have to look at the play 10 times because coverages, there's a lot of little wrinkles and variations in basic concepts. And sometimes those uh, variations can be because of the quarterback. Sometimes they can be because of a wide receiver. Sometimes they could be because of a team's route concepts. But there's little variations that, you know, obviously, when teams are preparing, you have to be aware of. This is a factor of coaching. That's correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's really one of my favorite things to watch. And you know, we talk about man coverage uh, across the NFL. Before we move on to the different zone concepts, what are some of the pl- pass plays that you see uh, across the league? Do you feel okay? This this is a great man beater. You talk about maybe that shallow cross concept, that mesh concept. The mesh concept with two crossing routes, because obviously that creates a lot of congestion for the man to man defenders. A lot of bodies they have to, you know, sometimes they run into each other. Sure. Another thing you see a ton of against man so you see this a lot on anywhere from third and three to third and seven which has become a you know big man to man down is you'll see slot to one side and you'll basically see the the inside receiver the slot guy well let's start with the outside receiver he'll start and run kind of an in-breaking route and he's basically running what we call a natural pick or a natural rub element and you'll see the inside guy run right off of him, right. you know, right off his rear. Right. And, again, you're getting that natural pick or natural rub element. That's what you're trying to create. The Malcolm Butler interception in the Super Bowl, sim- a similar, similar kind he, of play. He read it. He read know, it perfectly. He read it perfectly. Sure. But 
it's funny you mentioned the Seahawks because they are very good at doing that on third down. That's one of their staple foundation plays on third down, that natural rub, natural pick element. That's what you're trying to do. You know, the old, the old adage has always been against man that you try to run away from man. And, right, exactly. And, so crossing routes yeah, and, and right, breaking routes, right. things like that. Usually so. are effective. Now, obviously, if you've got a big-time receiver that you think can just win, you know, let's say he's your ex and he's lined up as the single receiver to one side and he's matched up against a corner, you know, sometimes you just feel, hey, that's where I'm throwing the ball. I've got my best guy against a corner, and I feel very comfortable with whatever route he's running. Sure, and then and not just a factor of the Des Bryant's, Calvin Johnson, right. but also – uh, the the Swiss Army knife type, you know, the the Zach Ertz and athletic tight end, correct, or, or Darren Sproles out of the backfield, where you know, okay, we're gonna like this matchup here, where it's Darren Sproles against a linebacker against the Colts get, last no year. Question. Remember that play? I mean, it was McNary who's not a starter, but that's irrelevant. He's a linebacker, and he ran sort of the angle route or the Texas route, whatever you like to call it, out right. of the backfield, and he killed him. No question. And you know, that's what you try to get. That's why receiving backs that's why tight ends are so important in the NFL because you're getting better athletes uh, now matched up whether it's a linebacker or a safety and that's why the safety position is becoming even more important in the NFL because now you're asking safeties they have to be able to cover man to man no question and and just so you know you guys the listeners at home have an idea when coaches and teams go into a week they're watching film and they're breaking down and they're not just watching the game all the way through what they'll do is they'll split up uh, let's say the Eagles are playing the New York Giants. Personnel and situations. Personnel and situations. So they'll say, okay, let's look at the third and long cut up. So it's third and six plus. We'll look at third and four to six, third and two to four, third and short. And now what are the different coverages they like to run? What are the different blitzes they like to run? In and all there's those not a hundred things. See, people have to right. understand that when teams, you know, let's look at it from an offensive perspective sure. first. When it's third and long. There's not 50 plays that an offense chooses from. Right. There's six plays. Exactly. Now, they might have little formation variations, but there's six concepts. Right. You know, it's just a matter of, gee, is, is the back lined up offset or is he lined up flex? I mean, but the concepts are the same. Right. Same on defense. When, it's, it, when you're breaking down a defense and it's third and, you know, six plus – there's not a hundred defenses that the that the team runs. They have a, they kind of have an idea. Okay, well, uh, it's third and six plus seventy five percent of the time they're running man free. Twenty five percent of the time they're running cover three. Right. We're going to play our two. We're going to play the odds. This is we're going to run a man beater here because we think they're going to run man. It's funny covers. you said that because I think you know one thing I learned early on from talking to a ton of people when I was starting out is play calling and game planning is based on probability and tendency. It's never based on certainty. So if a team does something 82% of the time, you're coaching that 82%. If they happen to do something in the 18%, you know what? They win that down. Tip of the cap to them. And that's the way it works. Sure. But you can't, you don't have enough hours in the day, nor can you flood your players with so much information that they can't play. Sure. That's the other thing. You can't say to a, t- a defense, let's say, well, if the offense does this, you do this. If the offense does this, you do this. If the offense does this, you because then the players are, their heads sweat. They can't play. You know, so you can't coach like that. Right. So you have to coach to tendency and probability. No question. So uh, moving from man to zone coverage, let's just talk about basic cover two. And again, there are lots of different variances to cover two. There's we're talking a, zone now. Right? Yeah, we're yeah. talking zone coverage. Uh, all your basic cover two where you've got uh, two cloud corners that are going to play and then you're going to be your flat players. You have two high safeties and then you've got three linebackers. Or, well, you've got three defenders, I'll say, uh, across the middle three of the field. Three underneath defenders. Exactly, who, three underneath. Who either in, in today's NFL years ago it was very trendy when Tony Dungy was with Tampa that those defenders ran to spots, right. what we call landmarks. Yep, spot drop, yep. Now it's 
what more teams than not do is they have those underneath defense defenders pattern read yep. as opposed to just running to spots because if you know where they're running to, it's easy to defeat them. Sure. So now they actually read the, the inside routes and actually match up. It, it's more match-up zone. Sure. It, it's tougher just to spot drop in the NFL. And so it's a zone coverage that at times will look like a man. That's what we've talked correct, about in the past correct. so many times that – a lot of teams, it looks like it could be man coverage, but it's actually a zone principles where guys are responsible right. for an area, and whoever runs into that area, they're reading it and trying to play man coverage and stick and, on that. And getting back to the corners, you mentioned you know sort of the cloud concept with the corners. Different teams will have the corners sort of carry to different depths. Right. And that's also dependent on the offense's formation and if there's going to be a threat in the flat, what the down and down you know, and if it's third and 12, sure. Absolutely. Yep. you know, you don't want your corner sitting at 40 yards to take away the 40-yard pass. Right. You know, so it, it becomes situational as well. But different teams in cover two where the corner is technically passing on, passing off an outside receiver, different teams will coach differently as how far the corner carries them. Sure. You know, because some quarterbacks, and this is one of the real tough throws in football, will try to hit a wide receiver in the void behind a corner to the side of the safety before the safety can get there. What have you always known that hole as? I've heard different names for that hole. I know I've, Gruden calls it the turkey hole. I, there we go. I, BT, B, my producer, BT, always uh, makes fun of me because that's what I've always known right. it as, too, is the turkey hole. So, all right. See, I, and I've that's a throw. That's a timed throw. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that's not a that's drop not back, sit, and wait. That's a t- Because that throw has to be caught at about 18 yards because other, sure. otherwise the safety is going to get there. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough throw, and you know those are the different kinds of voids there that you're going to see. Is that right, be- right beneath the safety on top of the corner? But a lot of the different routes you'll see against cover two, uh, you're going to see lots of corner routes to try and take advantage of, of that area. In breakers and, and breaking routes across the middle of the field for sure. Cover two, Fran, is all based on three step and five step. Anything beyond the timing of three-step and five-step, the four-man pass rush has to get there. Sure. Cover two can't hold up in, in seven-step drop timing, right. which is 2.6 seconds or beyond. Right. Anything at three-step is 1.5, five-step is 2.1 seconds. That's where cover two works. If you get beyond that, there's too many holes. And now the, the adjunct to, to cover two, of course, is Tampa two, right. where the – Mike linebacker runs the middle hole and essentially becomes kind of a deep third right, defender. The seam, and sure. there's two ways teams do that. Either he runs to a spot or he's actually running with a route. Right. You can do that two ways. But the problem is he has to turn one way or the other as he runs. Typically Nor- to the passing strength or whatever that immediate no- threat is. Inside. Right. Normally he'll turn to the side with more receivers. Right. But then what happens is that backside, you know, dig, there's no one who can cover that. Yep. So that's why if you get to the seven-step drop phase where you're 2.5 seconds or beyond, cover two breaks down because they can't cover this stuff. Not to mention, too, you've got two high safeties. So if you run three vertical routes, four vertical routes, now you're just flooding that deep area of the field. Two guys are going to have a lot of trouble trying to cover four. That's correct. So cover two is a coverage that's ultimately built off the ability of your four pass rushers to generate pressure. If they can't generate pressure – you can't really play cover two. All right, so let's talk. Uh, let's go to cover three now. So now with cover three, you've got three high defenders. You've got four defenders underneath. Those four defenders underneath could be 
any number of uh, different possibilities there where it could be a safety and a linebacker inside. It could be a safety on the outside, and there's three buzz and three, right. uh, you know, three cloud and three strong. There's all kinds of different ways and variances to cover three, but basic cover three, three high, four underneath. What are some of the different uh, things you've seen from teams around the league? Because obviously everyone talks about the Seattle Seahawks and the way that they yeah. play cover three. Yeah, well, cover three is, is technically his own concept, but depending on the routes by the outside receivers, the corners are really man-to-man corners because if those outside receivers run anything vertical, then those corners have to match up. It's typically eight eight yards. Is to, I think right. it's kind of like right. the, the line. They have to match up. There. Sure, right. You know, now, then it comes down to technique. Are they going to play zone technique in which they're facing inside with outside leverage? That's normally what cover three is. But when you're an, when you're an offense and you're designing route concepts and, and you feel confident that you're getting cover three, you know, if that's a team's core – coverage there's certain concepts you can you can defeat cover three with or put the burden on the defense right think of a post corner combination right okay the corner has to run with the post you know because when does he give up the post to the deep safety you distort his responsibility when will he give that up he can't just let a a wide receiver run vertically and pass him on because if he ends up running straight vertically, there's no one to play that. Right. So he has to stay with him. So now if the corner runs with a vertical route and you bring a corner route behind that, there's no one to play. Now you're asking an underneath defender literally to drop sometimes 20 yards. That's hard. And now you're, and you look at that, you talk about post corner. There's also post wheel. We saw the New oh, Orleans Saints kill, killers with Killer. it. Uh, we saw Zach Hurts catch a touchdown pass against last Seattle. year against Seattle against cover three. And was, that was more of a was, switch concept, right? Where, but it was still a post wheel concept exactly. because what you get, in, and this is where cover three also becomes man to man, is KJ Wright had to run with Zach Ertz because he knew in cover three, because of a potential vertical route outside of him, that there'd be no one to play a wheel route. He was going to need help. Yep. So now you end up very often with a matchup you've, that you like. It was Zach Ertz against K.J. Wright. Sure, and then you see uh, especially a lot of these flood concepts as well where you're going to put – Three, a three-level stretch concept where you've got three, three defenders uh, – I'm sorry, two defenders Perfect going against three concept. receivers. It's great. Perfect route concept, the three-level stretch or flood concept where you've got on the same side of the field. And by the way, offenses can get to this about 20 different ways. Oh, yeah. But you get a short route on one, on one side, an intermediate route on the same side, and a vertical route on that side. Really difficult for a cover three concept. It's, it's the same basic idea we talked about with cover two where uh, two high defenders can't cover three or four deep receivers – now, if you're putting three receivers to one side of the field where there's only going to be two defenders, it's going to be tough for those guys to cover all three. It's, so it's really tough. No question. So uh, moving on to cover four, quarters coverage, yep. where a lot of people see this as almost like a prevent defense. It's not, it's not. It's not no. at all because those two safeties inside are going to have run responsibility. Th- that's the key. You'll see a lot of quarters against teams that run the football because the safeties have dual responsibilities. The safeties uh, are responsible for run first, then pass. So a lot of teams that maybe line up with two tight ends is kind of a base personnel package. You'll see a lot of quarters because of the run game because they want to get a safety involved without playing single high. So now you still have, you know, the the two theoretically two deep safeties, but they have run responsibilities. Right. And then they're also responsible for any vertical route from the inside. So quarters is also a coverage where the outside corners – play a lot of man-to-man as well that's exactly right so you know there's certain routes and actually a, a, a post 
corner still works against uh, cover four quarters. The, you know, there's certain route concepts like that that'll still be very effective against quarters. And the the tough thing too, when you're playing quarters, is that it's very easy to get the responsibilities distorted in the uh, secondary. Yes, yes. Especially because when you've got the run responsibilities, if there's any kind of run action, any kind of play action up front from the offensive line, from the running back, uh, from the quarterback, if they sell it well, that safeties are going to have to step up. They have to respect that, and now there's room over the top. And, and so what you see against quarters is if, if you feel comfortable with your outside receiver against their corner, let's say in terms of speed, you can get to the post against quarters because yep. in quarters – the, the cornerbacks are playing really with outside leverage. Right. They're, they're Not that they're giving up the post, but they're playing behind the post. They're, they're not playing inside to take away the post. So oftentimes, if you can occupy that safety to that side with a route or run action, you can get to the post. Now, there was a stretch in the NFL where quarters was a very big red zone coverage, and it got eaten up. I can remember Peyton Manning in his days with the Colts they used to kill quarters in the red zone because what they do is they'd line up Marvin Harrison, split right, Marcus Pollard, an athletic tight end on the same side. Just the levels. Uh, He'd the... run right at the quarter's okay. safety, yep. and then Marvin would basically run an in-breaking yep. route behind. The safety was removed because of Pollard, and Harrison would beat the corner, right. and there was nobody else in the middle of the field. Sure. So you'd hit him, yep. and it got burned. So quarters is not used as much now in the red zone because it's too easy to break down. What do you see as the biggest red And this will be the last question. What do you see as the biggest red zone coverages in the NFL? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I feel like cover two. Uh, you know, teams two play a lot of sort of red zone cover two because, in a sense, you almost have five defenders across now because of that middle linebacker. Right. It's kind of a Tampa t- red zone Tampa two. Right. So you've got five defenders across, which really tightens the windows quite a bit. Right, and then you'll see different pressures and different right. ways to disguise the pressure. Uh, Greg, we can talk about all the different combinations of quarter, quarter, half, and good way like to get into well. football. But this was a good conversation. I'm excited to get things going here as the uh, 2015 season gets underway. Can't believe there's a there's a game here this weekend. Well, there was a game last weekend. Yeah, no question. So, so it's here. Uh, we'll be back for more here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Greg, thanks for joining us here on Chalk Talk. Thanks, Rant. Great to have Greg back in Studio B. He'll be joining us here each and every week from now until the end of the season. Uh, but, B, before we get into the next segment, how are people doing? Are, are, how are we doing on iTunes? Are people listening to your detailed instructions here? I, I would hope people are writing down and, and taking step-by-step notes, but we're doing well. We're getting good numbers. Uh, go. p- people are, are certainly uh, subscribing and, and listening to the podcast, but – the more the merrier. I mean, I know we, we obviously uh, we, we tease this a lot, but whatever you guys can do in terms of feedback, you know, subscribing, liking, whatever you guys want in the podcast or don't like or Go you give know, us a just, ranking just on uh, give us on a, iTunes. give us a rank because that that'll obviously help the podcast get more exposure. So whatever you guys can do to give us a little bit of love, um, it'll certainly help us make a better product and give you guys like what you want. And at the same time, uh, we're, we're helping each other out M- multiple times this week since the last show. Uh, I would say probably at least three or four times on Twitter, people have asked, uh, can we get video versions of the podcast? And I, can't, I will tell you, I'm just going to be flat out. Until we get a new studio, we won't be able to do it. And we can't get a new studio if we don't pump these podcasts exactly. up. So we need it, your help. It's a domino effect. So you guys help, help us with, with ratings and reviews. It helps us with our with our numbers. Exactly. It gives us a reason to get a studio. Exactly so, right. And, and Fran, we want to do this correct. We don't want to just... 
put up video of us. Oh yeah, in the Wolf's Den. We're trying to work <laughs> exactly. We're not in a vending machine here. Yeah. You know, we're uh, in a makeshift studio. But you know, be that as it may, uh, it's time for one of my favorite parts of the show. Let's get on the field, talk with one of the players for two technique. Let's get to it. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with Eagles linebacker Jordan Hicks. And, Jordan, I want to talk about the screen game and defending the screen game. And, obviously, uh, with the role as a linebacker, you have a pretty important part in defending against the screen. Let's talk about the first situation here where you're one-on-one with the back-and-man coverage and you recognize the screen. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Oh, you got you to gotta get to your man um, as soon as possible. You know, it's a race between you and the lineman who's trying to block you. Um, obviously, they're, gonna, they're trying to get your man the ball, and you got to get to him as soon as possible. Um, you know, you, you either have to, to button press the, the lineman if he's on you right now, or, or you can use your speed because you're, you know, you're obviously you're more athletic than, than most linemen. So use your speed to try and get around him and make a play outside in. So I think that's one thing that fans don't necessarily realize. Offenses, most of the time, if they're running a screen, the first objective is try and get the guy who's defending the, the receiver. So uh, do you almost have to play like w- eyes wide open and, and expect that you're, gonna, you're about to get hit, or are you just trying to get your man to the ball? I'll tell you what, it's, it's all about leverage. So, you know, if it's one-on-one, um, you know, usually you're outside leverage on your man. And, uh, you know, if you've got a guy climbing to you, an offensive lineman climbing to you right now, you're, it's, it's a race. It's, a, it's fast. You know, you got to get downhill um, as soon as you can and um, make sure you're cutting the running back back inside to your, where, you know, where all your help is to all your defenders. So if you, let's say now you've got the tight end or you've got the number two receiver, number three receiver, not necessarily back, you read screen, do the responsibilities change at all or are you still you're trying to, to out leverage and force everything back inside? It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Um, obviously it's not your man. You've got somebody, somebody else blocking you. Usually the guy you're uh, defending man to man is is blocking you um, so you know you got to you got to get a good release off of him and uh, you know it's all about leverage you got to you got to uh, force it back into your help and then uh, lastly, we'll just talk about the bubble screen. Uh, you're stacked inside. You see that it's going outside to number two or number three receiver uh, on a bubble. What's the first thing that's going to your mind? Go get it. It's all. It's. I mean, it's. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, it's not your responsibility. You know, if, if they throw that, um, you know, you're inside out. No matter what, it's not your responsibility. If it's a double pass or anything like that, anything tricky. Um, it's your responsibility to go get it. That was some great stuff, B, from Jordan there on the screen game and defending the screen. He's a really smart player. I'm re- very, very excited to see what the future holds for him here in Philadelphia. It may not be immediate. You know, I don't know if he's going to play right away, you know, extensively here, barring any injuries. Uh, but down the road, I'm really excited about his potential. Real smart kid. I- I've gotten to talk to him a little bit. And uh, I remember at the Senior Bowl, he kind of turned to a little bit of man crush on him. So oh, yeah. happy that when we drafted him, I know he's, you know, ha- had some injuries in the past, but I think he's a really smart kid, and uh, hopefully he fits in well here. Yeah, and that piece, you'll be able to go, if you go onto the Eagles app or if you go onto the Eagles website, you'll be able to see that piece that in video form, uh, you know, and that all helped it, you know, kind of tease it back. So uh, we're doing that in some of our, uh, you know, it's in all of our podcasts, really, finding ways to be able to cross-promote. And so you'll see that video appear on the Eagles app and uh, on the website. And we have that, too, as, as well on the Eagles inside our podcast. Whoever we have in for the interview, um, we'll try to cut down a little – you know, one thirty, two minute, two minute uh, clip to put up on social, sure. so people can kind of, like you said, kind of promote yourself. And uh, you, there's your video version. There you know, go. Of, our, of a podcast. That's it. That's the, the little tease. You the wet, wet your beak as uh, as Bo Wolf. We want to give you the best stuff. That's right. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap the show up like we do each and every week. Let's talk some college football. It's time for Saturday scouting. Joining me this week on Saturday Scouting, one Rob Rang from CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rob Rang. Rob, how's it going, man? It's going well. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Rob is uh, based out in the West Coast. He's got his finger on the pulse of the Pac-12. So we're going to talk strictly Pac-12 prospects this week. And I wanted to start, Rob, with a guy from Utah, a guy you've written about uh, over the last few weeks here, one of the best running backs in the senior class, if you ask most media outlets right now, and that's Devontae Booker, 5'11", 208 pounds. What did you see last year from you? What do you think his draft prospects are as we move forward here with the 2015 season? Well, Devontae Booker is one of the most physical running backs in the entire country. He was a guy that actually originally signed with Washington State out of high school, but then because of academics, uh, had to go back to the junior college route. As you mentioned, he ended up at Utah, was absolutely uh, a freight train uh, coming into the Pac-12 a year ago. No one knew what to expect, including Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham, but uh, Devontae Booker went on to lead the Pac-12 in rushing yardage, and despite the fact that he barely even saw the field the first three games, Brad, I mean, this is a kid who you know, reminds me a little bit of former Philadelphia Eagles running back Chris Polk in that he is not going to wow you with a straight-line speed, but he can absolutely bowl over defenders, has a very low center of gravity, so he's able to, uh, to kind of brush off would-be tacklers. I anticipate another big season from him that he'll be among the first senior running back selected, but his ultimate draft rate is going to hinge on how he runs the 40-yard dash. I see him in that 4.55 to 4.6 range, but do believe he can be a successful NFL running back. That Chris Polk comparison is an interesting one. I hadn't heard that before, and I actually kind of like it just from what I remember of his playing style. One of the big things I had a question about with him was his vision, his decisiveness. He, fe he seemed to want to always cut things back as opposed to just take things to the front side and, and take what was given to him. Uh, and then ball security was an issue as well. He had four fumbles in the six games, at least that I watched. Uh, were, were there any concerns about his game that you had from watching his tape in 2014? Well, as I mentioned, the straight line speed is definitely a concern. I absolutely agree with you that he does like he wants to cut things back inside. And I think that that is a reflection of the fact that Devontae Booker knows that he doesn't have the straight line speed to be able to, to keep, uh, you know, Pac-12 linebackers, at least star Pac-12 linebackers, and certainly NFL linebackers to the corner. Uh, he was a player that, while he had a couple of dozen receptions uh, at Utah and previously in his junior college career, you know, most of those catches came out of very simple little jump-off passes, screen routes, things like that. I didn't see a guy who, uh, you know, at this point is ready to be uh, an NFL-caliber blip pickup type player. Right? Sure. Pass protection, he looked like he was definitely a little bit in that regard. All right, well, let's go to his teammate on the other side of the ball, linebacker Jared Norris. He's 6'1", 232 pounds, played weak side backer, played some middle linebacker, uh, played over the tight end a little bit as well for that versatile Utah defensive front seven. What did you see from Norris? Because I didn't know much about him before I watched him, but I was pretty impressed after watching him uh, earlier this summer. Yeah, I mean, he, he's almost uh, the linebacker version of Devontae Booker in that his game is all about physicality, uh, toughness. And again, not an elite athlete, not a guy who I think is going to wind up being a, you know, a, a first or second round pick in the NFL, but he's instinctive, physical, he takes on blocks well. And you mentioned, I mean, he's very versatile. He, he's lined up inside, uh, inside linebacker, came off the edge. Uh, he, he see his awareness and pass coverage. He just seems like he has a knack for finding the football. And he's one of those guys that I think that may wind up being drafted a little bit later than probably his case that he should because I do not anticipate that he's going to work out that well. But I think that he's going to wind up having a very successful NFL player as well. 
And then one of his line mates there, Utah, uh, Jason Fanaika, he's 6'2", 269 pounds, I thought was really interesting as well. That whole front seven is very versatile just because of the different ways uh, that they're used. They lost some guys there to the NFL draft a year ago. So I'll be really interested to see how they come together and really what that unit looks like uh, moving into 2015. Let's go to uh, one other. Go, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that, absolutely. I mean, that, that's one of the things Cal Murray had did a spectacular job. I mean, of course, a couple of years ago with Carlos Lele, and then last year with Nate Orchard. Uh, you know, every year it seems like the Utah used to have somebody in a defensive line that really kind of, it seems like comes out of nowhere. But for people who have been paying attention, you know, it really is just been a pipeline uh, to the NFL, and especially along the defensive front uh, for the Utah U. From one of the newcomers to the Pac-12 in Utah to one of the stalwarts and one of the more historic programs in USC, uh, let's talk about quarterback Cody Kessler. 6'1", 217 pounds. Not the biggest or strongest guy, but I love the way he plays the position. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on Kessler? Because I feel like he's a little divisive, whereas some people are really big into him, where others are worried about that arm strength, worry about his size. Uh, where do you fall on the Kessler side? Well, you know, I, I try and go right down the middle a little bit with Cody Gessler because there is no question that he has the instincts, the guts, uh, you know, just the awareness that you're looking for at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, I do have some reservations about his arm strength. There are times when he's got a muddy pocket. He's not able to step into his throat. that the ball sails a little bit on him. Struggles a little bit with the deep ball. And that, that's, a, that's a concern, you know, considering the wide receivers that USC has had over the years. Uh, most of the big plays that have come from Nelson Aguilar or Marquis Lee or now G.P. Smith have been slant, post, things like that, where you're able to you know, get those wide receivers the ball in space rather than traditional vertical routes. But you know, more, as Cody Kessler is kind of sneaky athletic, he is a guy that if you give him a little bit of space and scramble, he can absolutely take advantage of that. He'll, he'll lower his shoulder and try to pull ahead to get the tough yards. Uh, you know, and he has a very good accuracy in the short to intermediate range. I think that he's a perfect fit for Steve Sarkeesian's offense at USC. I do have some reservations about his ability to throw tight windows at the next level on those deeper routes, especially outside the action. Yeah, you, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I'm really excited to see if Kessler can take the next step because, you know, when I watched him last year, I really liked the way he positioned. I thought that he handled pr uh, pressure well in the pocket. I thought he worked the pocket well. He was accurate. He was a good touch thrower. I just want to see him in an offense that they clearly define things for him. It's very similar to some of the things that you see from a Chip Kelly passing game. They really make things easier for the quarterback. I'll be really interested to see. I want to see him be able to throw with more anticipation, see things a little bit quicker than he did a year ago because I think other than the arm strength, I think he's got a lot of tools. So I'm excited to see uh, what Kessler does this year. But let's transition to his backfield mate, uh, Trey Madden, six foot, 233 pounds. The guy was a strong side linebacker in 2011, moved back to the offensive side of the football. Injuries have been a huge, huge concern. But talent-wise, what are we looking at with a guy like Madden? Oh, we're looking at a really exciting player. I mean, he's going to have a heck of an opportunity here. You know, obviously, Buck Allen kind of seized the job a year ago, wound up being a, a selection of the Baltimore Ravens uh, based on the fact that they, he was a, a downhill runner with just enough speed and an excellent hands out of the backfield. You know, I, I think with that, we're seeing, we're seeing a guy with a similar type of, of ability in that he has the, the power to be able to run upfield. He's got more speed than Allen has. Uh, to the outside. He's also got some hands as a receiver. Again, in Steve Sarkeesian's pro-style offense, the, the cream is going to rise to the 
top. I mean, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think that what, uh, you know, when you're talking about players coming from prestigious top, it's so much easier to see how they're going to project to the NFL just because they're asked to do NFL types of things, whether it be running up the middle, uh, sit back and, and playing a pass protection, catching passes out of the backfield, the variety of different running games they're calling so they're going to call for them. So I'm very excited about that side. Yeah, as you mentioned, the former linebacker, so you know there's going to be a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of acclimation back to the offensive side of football. But a player that I'm very excited about is upside, and I think he's going to be one of the more intriguing players in all the West Coast, especially the running back position. I mentioned the injury concerns. He missed all of 2014 with turf toe. He missed a handful of games the year before with a hamstring injury. He missed all of 2012 with a torn ACL. And then you can go back to 2010, his senior year at high school. He missed a handful of games there with a foot injury as well. So injuries have been the biggest bugaboo there with Madden. It'll be really interesting if he can stay healthy, what he can do for that USC offense. And blocking for Madden, you've got three guys that are very highly touted up front. The line had some issues last year in terms of consistency, but lots of injuries there. They moved some guys around. You've got Max Turk at center. You've got Chad Wheeler at tackle, Zach Banner at tackle. Are, who of these guys are you most excited about moving forward into this season? Well, I would say I'm most excited about Max Turk just because he's a senior, he's a center that, you know, I mean, he, that he looks like a left tackle or even a tight end. I mean, he's listed at 6'5", 285 by USC. Uh, you know, and, and when you when you move, when the Trojans moved him inside the center a year ago, I initially kind of stopped at the idea. I think there's any way with his kind of long, lengthy frame, he'd be able to handle inside going against those big run stuff defensive tackles in the Pac-12 wide box with Danny Sheldon, of course, wound up being a top-10 pick of the Cleveland Browns, you know, or to the 12 overall Cleveland Browns. He, you know, but, but Turk did pretty well. I mean, he is a guy that because he plays with such great knee bend, because he does have a little bit of dynamite in his hand to be able to kind of lock on to, uh, on to, to run stuffers, uh, he did a nice job. He certainly has the lateral agility and intelligence that looking for at the center position. He's a player that, that, frankly, I think can play just about any spot along the offensive line that they like. Uh, I'm also very high in the two tackles, but especially just the behemoth that is Zach Banner. I mean, he's listed at 6'8", 360. He might be even bigger than that, Fred. I mean, he's just a massive human being. He's still very raw in his technique. He has been able to just physically overwhelm defenders uh, at the collegiate level. But this is a player that started as a registered freshman. He saw significant improvement a year ago. He's, a, he's an interesting guy that I think that as, the, uh, you know, as his career unfolds, he could wind up going just like his father, Lincoln Kennedy, wind up being a very high selection in the NFL based strictly on upside because he is not as clean of a prospect yeah, Banner, I mean, at 6'9", you said 360, his size is just, obviously you can't teach that. He, when teams would try and bull rush him, I mean, he is immovable at the point of attack. And then just the way that he would try and finish blocks in the run game, I mean, he was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, one last guy I wanted to ask you about, one of the most highly touted prospects in the, Pac, in the Pac-12, won the Chuck Bednarik Award last year, won the Bronco Nagurski Award a year ago, was a first-team All-American. Scooby Wright from Arizona, 6'1", 246 pounds. What, what's the scoop on Scooby here? What, what are your, what's your take on him? You know, I, I think that Scooby Wright is a terrific collegiate player. I have some reservations about him jumping to the NFL. I mean, yeah. He's not a guy that is a dynamic speed player. Uh, he isn't overly powerful, 
And you know, the NFL coaches say that you select to see players who are willing to shoot their gun, and that they, when they see something, they are willing to react. They don't, uh, they don't hesitate. That is TV right in a nutshell. In that, when he sees uh, a sweep left to right, for example, he has no hesitation whatsoever in squirting through the line to create flash tackles for loss. I mean, you, you mentioned some of the different awards that he won, that he won a year ago. I mean, the kids were celebrated in a uh, or more decorated than a wedding cake. I mean, he is just, you know, as celebrated as you're going to get. Uh, but at the same time, he is protected uh, in, in Arizona's uh, team that, that funnels all the action to him. When you see him try to take on blocks, he's got to do it with initial quickness, um, or he is often left to having to try and, you know, reverse back and, and then make the tackle a couple of yards down the line, down or behind him. So he, he gives up some yards to make the tackle. Now, he does have an a, a, a innate ability to create turnovers. He, he because he locates the football so well, he has very good hand-eye coordination. He's able to kind of steal interceptions to get the deep side straight on the quarterback. And he has an interesting closing speed about him. As I mentioned before, he's not a dynamic athlete. He's not a guy who I think is really going to wow you in terms of the 40-yard dash vertical jump. When we get to that type of, uh, you know, the, the scouting process in the NFL combine, but, you know, at the very last moment, at closing on, uh, on, on the ball carrier, he seems like he has an excellent little burst that, that, that generates fumbles. I mean, he had a lot of forced fumbles a year ago. He ripped at the ball. Uh, you know, kind of almost like a Wolverine, the way he kind of ripped, or appropriately enough a Wildcat, I suppose I should say, the way he rips the ball at the last possible second. So because of his ability to create turnovers, I still think that he's got a chance to be a top 100 player, just not the, the lockdown first-round pick that his accolades might lead to be. Dude, you nailed it. I, I have nothing else to say about Scooby Wright. The, the way that you described him is exactly how I saw him as well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see ultimately what his draft status is a year from now or two years from now, whenever it is that he decides to come out. Rob Rang, once again, you can follow him on Twitter, at Rob Rang. I appreciate you joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on, friend. Anytime. Great stuff there from Rob. Again, you could follow him on Twitter, at Rob Rang. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. Give me a follow. I love going back and forth, talking about football with fans. I tweet out the links to this podcast, the Eagles Insider podcast, uh, the College Draft podcast with Ross Tucker that just debuted this week, by the way. So go check that link out. Uh, I tweet all of those out from my page pretty consistently. So really appreciate all of you out there that help spread the word on social media. You can also follow our at Eagles shows account for uh, all of our podcasts, all of our shows, all of our digital programming. Uh, you can follow that again at Eagles shows. Uh, B, I think that'll do it. Another episode here in the books uh, for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. That's episode number 20. Thanks very much to Greg Cosell, uh, to Jordan Hicks, to Rob Rang. And thank you so much to all of our listeners out there, whether you're on iTunes, you're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Wherever you're listening, thank you. And if you get the time, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot me a question. I want to hear from you guys and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, give us a rating, leave us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast from my producer, BT. I'm Fran Duffy. We'll see you next week.